Hi, my name is Tracy Cook and I'm the founder of the Victim to Victory podcast series. This series gives a voice to those that have overcome obstacles in all forms that dare greatly to share their real stories. Amazing humans that have seen hope and risen above those adversities to become victorious, that now go on to inspire, empower and support others to do the same. The visionaries of tomorrow. Today I share my story, which I've never told my whole entire story. I'm feeling very vulnerable. I'm feeling very triggered and emotional because this is a huge moment for me to tell my entire story. I've basically hit every branch on the tree coming down and I'm every reason not to be a success. My story starts growing up in Perth, Western Australia with a traditional family. Dad went to work, mum stayed at home. It was myself and my brother. I was the oldest. And we weren't financially well off. There was not enough money for a lot of things. But we did have a food on our table. We did have a roof over our house, our head at night. And I never felt worthy. I was always told, sit down and shut up. <laughs> You'll never amount to anything. What, what do you want? You know, what do you want now? And I just wanted to be loved and I wanted to feel part of a family. So growing up, I didn't feel like I belonged at any stage to that family. Now, this is hard to grasp because nothing eventful had actually happened yet. My dad was an alcoholic. He was very abusive. My mother is very subservial and non-approachable. There was always a lot of tension and walking on eggshells in our house. I always remember looking at my mum in the kitchen and she'd have the window open a little bit and she'd be staunch with her arms wrapped around her with a cigarette in her mouth, deep in thought, <sighs> out the window. My dad was always a, a, a truck driver at that stage, you know, long trips on the road. When he was at home, we'd have to be quiet because he was sleeping. And I really went within myself. There wasn't a lot of joy, approachability, lots of cuddles and laughter in our house. And I craved it. Even at a young age, I knew that's what I wanted. The joyous moments, though, is there was a family that my mum and dad had grown up with, a couple, and their two boys, and they used to come up from the country to visit us, and these were great days. There was laughter, and there were stories, and there was playful moments, and I really enjoyed looking forward to the family coming from the country. The kids would be outside playing, the adults would be inside playing board games around the table, and we used to have a fun time. Until one day, one of the older boys of the family that used to visit from the country wanted to play a game with me. That led to years of sexual abuse on every single visit. I really tried really hard to tell my mum so many times, but there's always so much tension and friction and fighting. And I just went within myself. I really internalized all of it. And I felt shame and I felt disgust. And I felt like it was my fault 
And although I was never told to keep a secret, I felt like it was a secret. And I knew what was coming for me every single time I heard the words, they're coming to visit. And my mum would get angry with me because I used to sit us all in the bathtub together to bath us. And I used to just scream and I'd go, please, mum, please, please, I would beg, please, mum, I don't want to. And she'd make me, she would hold me in there. And I knew the abuse was coming. So I internalised it. Nobody was listening to me. I did not have a voice. I started wetting the bed. And I felt really ashamed of that. And I tried to hide it, but quite a few times I couldn't because mum would find the sheets. And one night I wet the bed pretty bad. I didn't like to sleep in the dark. I didn't like to sleep with my door open. And they never knew why because I couldn't tell them, but they didn't pick up all the cues that something was wrong. I had the empathy or understanding to, to look further. They did the best that they could with the knowledge that they had at that time. I got locked outside, my nightie and my underwear all wet. It was cold. It was dark. It was scary. I was only young. And a neighbour heard my screams to let me back inside. My mother was screaming from the inside. The orphanage is coming. They're going to come and take you away. You're such a naughty girl. Felt worthless. And those thoughts would stay with me for years and years and years. They led to a lot of self-sabotage and self-limiting beliefs and self-destruction. Due to the neighbour coming over, my parents let me back into the house on that occasion and I used to hide all of the sheets and wash them myself sometimes or just lay in them and make my bed like a good girl in the morning and climb back into a wet bed at night. It happened for years and I really internalised and I just wanted to run away and be somewhere safe, somewhere that loved and heard me. It's not an easy story to tell. As I got into my teens, I got into nightclubbing when I was 12 and 13 years of age. I was very mature for my age. I knew how to talk an older language. I was running away. I was drinking. I was trying recreational things that 11 to 13-year-olds should not try. I was being naughty and rebellious and disruptive. And that got me attention. And I always had a funny side to me. I could always connect and be friendly with people. I was always very outgoing despite all the internal turmoil. I got in with the wrong crowd. I started hanging out at biker bars when I was a teenager. Everyone was broken. I was accepted. <laughs> the drinking got worse. Really did. A lot of um, domestic violence relationships. I felt like I deserved every single blow that I got. And then I started traveling around Australia, lots and lots of jobs, kind of like a wandering gypsy, for trying to find myself somewhere, trying to find where I fit. 
And I always found my way. I had a lot of happy times. I cried in bathrooms a lot. I cried in showers a lot. I tried to commit suicide. I went out to a paddock. I put a hose in my muffler and put it in through my window. That was it. I was done. I was done. No more. No more abuse. And as I sat in that car with my cut ear and my bloodied nose and my fat lip and my black eye from yet another domestic violence experience, another failed relationship, feeling like crap, not knowing anywhere to turn. I turned on the ignition, I laid my seat back and I felt at peace, so at peace. This was in my late teens, my early 20s. I'd forgotten to fill my car up with petrol, though. (laughs) So all I did hours later was wake up with a really, really bad headache and a car that I couldn't drive because I had no petrol. It wasn't meant to be on that day. I moved on from there. I started working. I had my own flat I thought, I'm going to get my act together. That's a sign that I need to rise above. And through all of this, I always knew I was meant for more. I really did. I really knew I was meant for more. And things were good for a while. I had some money. I had a stable house. I had my own car. I was really independent. I stayed away from the bad boys. (laughs) I was doing really well. And then I met up with a English backpacker and her and I just hit it off. We were such good friends. And she said, you should come to England with me. And I'm like, yes, I should. And I had no no inkling to returning to Australia. There was nothing here for me. I didn't really talk to my parents much. My brother and I drifted apart. He was the golden boy. He was always the favorite. He could do no wrong. He was good. I still to this day do not talk to my mum and dad or my my brother. We're disconnected. I don't need people in my life that put me down, criticise me and don't support me, whether they're family or not. So my English friend and I had a ball. We had this dream of going to England. We were going to be nannies and we're going to travel through England and Europe and live our best life. We're in our mid-twenties. I was so focused on getting myself organised. We scrambled everything and I sold my car and we got the plane tickets and it was only a few weeks until we actually left. So we were going to live it up and party on until we were on that plane to England, never to return to Australia. We're going to be nannies and we're going to travel and the world was at our fate. It was an exciting time. And then one night I met somebody and we sat up and talked for hours. It was unlike anybody I'd spoken to. He was actually interested in what I had to say. It's a gentleman, not the type I would normally go for. And I said, look, I'm going to lay it on the table. I'm going to England in a few weeks. This is just a casual fling, but I'm going and nothing's going to stop me. And that was okay. 
and we're seeing each other quite often. Two days before the, the plane flight, I'd done a pregnancy test and I was pregnant. So there was no English trip for me. And that friendship diminished and that opportunity expired. We bought a house, we got engaged, we had a daughter. But before she was born, there was another crisis moment, my life-changing moment, the every reason not to be a success moment, my sliding door moment, my pivotal moment. He was not the person that I thought he was or he portrayed to be. He was emotionally and financially manipulating. He was a narcissist, extreme narcissist. Now that I know what narcissist means, I look back and I think he was a narcissist. And he was always drinking. He was always going out. I was always second. And then one night I was, before my daughter was born, I was eight months pregnant. I wasn't feeling well. He'd been out and I called him to come home because I wasn't feeling well and it was getting time to have the baby and I just didn't want to be alone. And he was angry and he was upset. He came busting in through the door and I reacted. I yelled, I screamed, I'm having a baby. Why don't you pay more attention? What kind of father are you going to be? With that, he picked up a baseball bat and I got hit black and blue all over my body. I was taken to emergency. I'm laying in the hospital on the bed. Everyone's Everything around me is moving slowly, like in slow motion. They've got a, a priest in there telling me the baby's not going to survive. And in that moment, in that very moment, I decided my baby is not going to die. And this is where my life changes. No more self-sabotaging. I'm meant for more. I'm responsible for a life. You may not have made a good go of it for your life up until now, but it's not your fault. And that's okay because things can change. And I'm not a faithful a, a faith person, but I prayed to the universe, if you let me keep this baby, I promise, I promise that I will change my life and I will help change other people's lives. I don't know how. I don't know where, but I will. I will. And they're preparing me for me to lose my baby. I didn't agree with that. <laughs> there was no way I was going to lose my baby. She's now a happy 28-year-old with three children of her own. And I thank that moment. As worse as it was, looking down at my black and blue and cut body, how did I get myself here? But most of all, how can I get myself somewhere better? I was a single mum for quite a while. I was working three jobs. 
I managed to get my own house, my own car. My daughter went to a private school. I was working a lot, so I didn't see her a lot. And although the mum guilt come in, I knew that I had to prepare the foundations. I had to give her everything that I didn't have. But I wasn't giving her my time because I couldn't. I had a life to provide, a good education, a nice house, nice things. And I was always working because I went into work mode, workaholic mode. It wasn't long after that that I had another relationship and that was domestic violence again. And I couldn't believe that I'd let myself get in that situation again. As time went on, I met a wonderful man, my husband now. He'd already previously been married. We had another daughter together who is today now 16. And our life's great. There's been a lot of ups and downs. But in 2016, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And I beat that. I got addicted to the pain medication. And when I was a single mother, I was also homeless for quite a while and couch surf for quite a while. So amongst the self-limiting beliefs and the self-sabotage and the childhood sexual abuse, the domestic violence, the homelessness, the addiction, the cancer, I'm standing before you today, hitting every branch on the tree coming down, every reason not to be a success, saying that you are worth it. And I know people say that. And I know people say you're worthy, but you are. Your story is given to you for a reason. And if you give into it and just hold up that victim card, they win. The perpetrator or the person that done something bad to you or the experience or the circumstance around whatever happened to you was given to you as a gift and that is so hard to hear but it has made you who you are today because nobody is coming to save you except for you you have to pull yourself up it is not anyone else's responsibility to help you get on your feet dig deep because you are meant for more if we don't show people how we saved ourselves, how can other people unlock their own prison or step into their own potential? We have a duty to help people up, to be the visionaries of tomorrow, to share hope through our stories, to draw inspiration, motivation and perspective because if things don't change, things don't change at any point you can change your life you're one decision away from making a better tomorrow you do have it within you but don't rely on anyone else doing it for you you have to pick yourself up 
you have to find the resources or the tools or the willingness or you have to dig deep, do some personal development, reach out to a friend, reach out to a company that can help you, get some counselling, go to a crisis care, go to a hostel, get an exit plan. Because I tell you what, sometimes we wait to that diagnosis or that prognosis in health matters to make life-changing decisions. Or if you're in a domestic violence relationship, we just think, oh, they didn't mean it. It's going to get better. It doesn't. doesn't. does not. Go and get an exit plan so you can leave with, with confidence. Set yourself up. Save yourself and set you free so you can step into your authentic self, so you can be the person that you were born to be. The graveyard is the most expensive real estate on earth because that's where our dreams go to die. Watch who you're surrounding yourself with. Surround yourself with people, including family, that support and inspire you, that listen to you, that see you that hear you, that know that you have a voice and an opinion and that it is valid and that it is worthy and that it is appreciated. If they are not your people, get rid of them, family included. Remove them or or minimise them in your life because you can't grow from bullshit. You can only grow from truth. My story is raw. My story is real. My story is triggering. And each day I get better. I learn to flick that inner critic off my shoulder. I dug deep. When you see your purpose, like I have done with the victim to victory to visionary community, we don't want to stay in victimhood. And a victory is great. But we want to be the visionaries of tomorrow to break those generational chains of abuse and trauma and leave a legacy for generations to come. The Victim to Victory book is now available on Amazon. 